Well, hey, good morning, Stone Creek. Man, I'm so glad to be here. I have missed you guys. Have, did, did y'all miss me? I want you to know if you say no, I'm gonna preach for like four hours. So did you miss me? Now I'm so excited to be back today. Um, man, I just got warm fuzzies just being up on this stage. Um, I, I'm so excited, like overly excited, like overly prepared, have way too many notes, have way too much to say. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm like used to preaching on the regs. And for the last six, seven weeks, the only time that I preached was through an interpreter to an Indian congregation that didn't get my jokes, okay? They were lost on them cross-culturally. Apparently, they don't have Cool Whip in India, okay? So um, needless to say, I'm like jacked up and ready to preach. Um, I was going through such preaching withdrawals that I actually preached a sermon to my dog. He, uh, he peed on the carpet, and so he got the hellfire and brimstone message. So you're off the hook on that one, okay? Off the hook on that one. Needless to say, I'm jacked up today. If you wanna help me preach, I would appreciate it. I can use all the help that I could get this morning. So if you wanna throw out an amen, a hallelujah, uh, preach it, white boy, you know, whatever works for you, it will work for me. But I'm just, man, I'm excited to drop God's word on y'all this morning. Um, hey, turn to your neighbor real quick and say, I wish you knew. Uh, now turn to your other neighbor, the less enticing second option, and say, I wish you knew too. <laughs> Clearly not quite as much, but I wish you knew. There are so many things in life that we wish people knew, aren't there? Like, can you say close talkers? Like, don't you just wish that they knew? Like, I just wish close talkers knew to like, to take a step back and that like Altoids exist, you know? Like, I just wish that they knew. I wish that freshman uh, philosophy majors knew that they are annoying, just really annoying. Um, I wish that middle school boys knew that they smell, okay? That they smell like feet and tacos. Isn't that, isn't that like the perfect explanation of middle school boy smell? And like no one's trying to package that scent. Someone should let them know. Take a shower, okay? Nobody wants your feet and tacos. Um, Men, did you know, like, women wish you knew some stuff? Can I get an amen, ladies? Uh, men, women wish that you knew that they would like it if you would talk about your feelings or anything at all. Um, just words coming out of your mouth, ladies, they would, they, they would like it. Um, hey, women, you know, men wish that you would know. Actually, you guys already know everything, so you're off the hook on that one. That, that's funny. I'm glad I got some cheers for that. You know, as a pastor, there are all sorts of things that I wish that people knew, right? Like from a theological, philosophical, biblical perspective, there's just things as a pastor I wish people knew. Like I wish people knew when to laugh at my jokes. Like it's theology, just know when to do it. I wish, like I wish people knew to be encouraging. Hello, like that's a novel concept. Um, I wish that people knew that when we die, we don't become angels. Like, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. You're not getting wings. Um, I just wish people knew that. I wish people knew that like all dogs don't go to heaven, but that all cats actually go to hell. I wish <laughs> like just as a pastor, I just want to impart that theology. I just wish people knew some stuff, you know, there's just stuff that I wish people knew. You know, uh, in all seriousness, like I wish people knew to not post political rants on Facebook and attach Jesus' name to it. Anybody else with me on that? Can I get an amen? Anybody tired of that? I just wish people knew that. Um, like I wish people knew that God didn't cause their pain. Man, I wish people knew that God didn't cause their disappointment, that God isn't getting his jollies off of your suffering. Man, I wish people knew that. I wish people know, knew how like, head over heels in love with you that God is. Like, I wish people knew that, that he's like crazy in love with you. Man, I wish people knew. I wish um, people knew that God is like a sovereign king who is meant to be worshiped, not like some sick puppy who's begging you to play with him. I wish people knew that, man. I wish people knew that worship wasn't about them at all. I wish people knew um, 
like how to read their Bible. Gosh, I wish that so badly that people knew how to open up God's word and that it wasn't this chore that they had to perform, but that it was truly a delight to them that they saw it as this place that they got to open the Bible and God opened his mouth that he would speak to them and interact with them and rejoice over them. Like I wish people knew how to read their Bible and loved it. I wish that so bad as a pastor. You know, I wish people knew how to pray, like how to really talk to God, not just like utter phrases into the sky, like, oh, Father, where art thou? Like, don't, not that, but like talk to him, like with words that matter. Tell him what's going on in your heart and your soul. I just wish people knew how to pray, man. I wish people knew how to like share the gospel. I wish people even knew what the gospel really was and how to have a conversation about their story and the way that it could drastically change the story of their neighbor and their friends and their coworkers. I wish people could do that. I wish people had any level of urgency for the gospel, that people knew that heaven and hell were real and that people were gonna spend eternity in those places. Like as a pastor, I just, I wish people knew that. There are all these things that I wish that people knew, but if I could just be real with you and get my cards out on the table, there's nothing that I wish that people knew as much as I wish they knew who Jesus really is. Like, I wish that people personally knew the person of Jesus. That's what I wish people knew. And there's so many misconceptions and misunderstandings about who Jesus is. So often there's all of this religious baggage and political preference that gets attached to him. He ends up being more of an idea or a concept than an actual person. He ends up being this thing that we use to leverage our opinion and shout aloud from. He's not this person that we know, this person that we're close to. I wish people knew him like that, like close, like a person that they could interact with and talk to. Usually when people talk to me about Jesus, just being real, he seems like so distant and so far off. Like it seems like he's just, you know, far removed, like some legend in a fairy tale or something. They use phrases like, oh, you know, the big man upstairs or, you know, the guy in the sky they turn him into this like awkward acquaintance who lives in your parents' basement, right? Like that's what it sounds like. Like you, do you know him? Is he real to you? Or is he like, I wish people knew Jesus as like a real person. That's what I want more than anything else. Not a concept, not an idea, not a fairy tale, but a real person who has really come for you. And, and so that's what I wanna do today. I wanna introduce you to the Jesus that I wish that you knew. And to do that, we're gonna look at the Jesus found in the book of John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, John chapter one. And in John chapter one, there's perhaps possibly one of my favorite pictures of Jesus throughout the entire scripture. It's probably my second favorite picture of Jesus in John chapter one. My favorite picture of Jesus, as you're turning there, I'll just kind of tell you this, cause I've got time and, uh, and a face mic. Um, my favorite picture of Jesus is found in uh, Revelation 19. And in that picture of Jesus, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth and fire coming out of his eyes. I love that picture of Jesus. I always wanna put it out to decorate at Christmas Eve to scare the children, but my wife won't let me. But I do love that picture of Jesus. And so since I can't do that one today, we'll do John chapter one, verse 14. Here we go. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Ooh, that's so nice. I'm gonna read it twice. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, I love this scripture. Now, we're going to get heady for a second. Lean in, all right? We're going to go academic. All right, this word, the word in the Greek is logos. Let me hear you say logos. logos. And from a literary perspective, that word logos has echoes of Genesis chapter one when God created the world. And it says that when God created the world, that he spoke it to be, that he spoke and that creation happened. That's crazy to even think about. Like when I speak, my wife just slaps me usually, but God speaks and creation happens, stars in the sky, mountains from nothing. And what John chapter one, verse 14 would say is that that word, that logos is the word when God speaks, okay? That word is with God in the beginning. That word, the word is God in the beginning. It's like this, when God speaks and says, let there be light, the word is the one who flips the light switch on. 
When God creates with his mouth, when he speaks, the word is the one who starts to put creation together. The word is the active agent behind all of creation. He was with God in the beginning. He is God and was God in the beginning. And this is God today. This is the God, the active agent behind all of creation. And John says that that word is Jesus, Jesus Now, I love Eugene Peterson's picture of John chapter 1, verse 14. He says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? That the God of glory took off his robes of majesty, put on a skin suit, and stepped into the neighborhood of human existence and experience. That he came to be with us and like us and one of us, to understand us and identify with us and walk alongside of us. This is what he came to do. Is he the word, the God who's been there forever, who's Jesus, puts on a skin suit and becomes one of us. And he moves into the neighborhood of our lives. That's such beautiful imagery. And I want to take Eugene Peterson's analogy or illustration a step further because it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and um, the, the, when he came, the only son from the father, he came full of grace and truth, which means that when Jesus 2,000 years ago moved into the neighborhood of human existence and experience, he brought bags with him and the bags that he brought when he moved into the neighborhood were bags full of grace and bags full of truth. And I just think that that's, that's so beautiful that there were truckloads of grace and truckloads of truth. That that's what Jesus carried into the neighborhood of humanity. That like the movers are unpacking Jesus in Jerusalem and they're like, man, I see a lot of grace and I see a lot of truth. You got anything else in there, Jesus? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That this is what he's full of. That this is what he brings with him. That this is the essence of his character. That this is what he is like. That this is who he is. And this is the Jesus that I wish that you knew. The Jesus who is full of grace and full of truth. Usually we think that it's a Jesus who's one or the other, don't we? Like it's either the Jesus of grace or it's either the Jesus of truth. And so the way we think about it in our mind is we've either got a grace-filled Jesus. We've got a Jesus who's like light on sin, who's easygoing, who's kind of chill. We would liken him to like love, peace, chicken, grease, hippie from the 70s, right? Like that's anybody, that Jesus, Birkenstocks and like a perm, right? That's... That's grace Jesus. And then there's truth Jesus, right? Or what we interpret to be truth Jesus. And we think that truth Jesus is a rule follower and he's a police officer and he can't wait to pounce on us. And he's got standards that are way too high. And he's just looking for us to make a mistake because when he makes a mistake, he's gonna, when we make a mistake, he's gonna throw the book at us and say, you can't handle the truth. He's just gonna quote the prophet Jack Nicholson, right? That's the... Jesus that we think is the Jesus that is full of truth. But the reality is is it's not a Jesus of grace or truth. It's a Jesus full of grace and truth. Like he he is able to be both simultaneously. It's not 50% grace, 50% truth. It's 100, 100. He's all grace and he's all truth. He can't be truth and not be grace and be grace and not be truth. It's this blended mixture of beauty that walks into the doors of humanity. And this is how he wants to introduce himself. This is how John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, understood Jesus to be. Which I always think that that's funny that he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved because that is found in the book of John, which means he gave himself that nickname. (laughs) It's hilarious. But he says, like all of my estimates, all of my understandings is that, yeah, Jesus, you know, he's full of, he's full of grace. He's full of truth. When he moved into our world, That's what I got from him. That's what I experienced from him. That's what I encountered from him. Grace and truth and grace and truth and grace and truth. It's overwhelming. It's intoxicating. Now, I'm going to try my best to unpack for you this Jesus who's full of grace and truth today, but I want to be real. I'm going to focus more on grace. Now, it's not because I'm light on truth, and it's not because Jesus is light on truth. It's not because the Bible's light on truth. It's because it begins with grace, and you don't want to be here till 7 p.m., okay? It starts with grace. You see, it could have said that he came from the Father full of truth and grace, but it didn't. And ordering in the Bible of language is important. It says that he's full of grace and truth. Grace comes before truth. And it says from his fullness. It could have said that he's full of truth upon truth, but it didn't. It said that he's full of grace upon truth grace. It begins with, it lays the foundation of grace before it moves to truth. Now, interestingly enough, from this point moving forward, the word grace never appears in the scriptures. 
Um, it, I'm sorry, in the Gospel of John, it's all over the Bible. Um, if you were confused by that, you ain't read it. <laughs> so it never, uh, the word grace never appears in the Gospel of John after that statement, grace upon grace. Interesting, right? However, the word truth appears 55 times. It shows up as true, truly truth. Um, so Jesus isn't light on truth. He is absolutely the truth. And it is only by him being the truth that we even know what grace is. It says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The way that you experience the benefits of grace is absolutely by knowing the truth. But I need you to understand who Jesus is as grace. Because oftentimes his grace is what will open your eyes to the truth. And so we're going to begin by laying this foundation of grace, but we got a big problem. Grace is one of the most tragically misunderstood words in the entire Christian faith. Like I could ask each of you what grace is, and I'm likely to get vastly different definitions, right? Like we, 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 we have no concept, no real understanding for what this word grace really is. Like some people are like, oh, I know what grace is. Grace is that thing I say before I pray. Good, I'll say grace, good gravy, good meat, good God, let's eat, right? That's grace. And that's what we think that it is. Man, some people think that like grace is just this like get out of jail free card. Grace gives me the ability to sin and not have to be held accountable for it, right? Grace means I don't have to get in trouble. Um, the great prophet Al Pacino understood this one, right? He said, um, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness instead. <laughs> and that's how a lot of us think about grace, Yeah. That it's this thing that, you know, I can mess up. I can do my thing on Friday night, party. I can drink a little bit too much and then come to church on Sunday and get my grace on. Like grace is this backup option, this fail safe, this thing that'll catch me if I fall. It's the net under the trapeze of my life. And that's how we think about grace. You know, many of us, what we would like to do in the Christian circles is just to put a really cute theological definition on grace. You know, grace, brother, is the unmerited favor of God. That's what we love to do. It's just like this cute, compact, nice, succinct definition, the unmerited favor of God. And you'd be right to say that. Other quirky Christians like to turn it into an acronym. What's up with Christians and acronyms? We're so weird. And so we're like, grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Put it on a bumper sticker. Like, that's what we love to do. We just try to like to make it cute and comfy. But the reality is that grace is so much bigger, so much more dynamic, so much more robust than some cute, comfy understanding of it. You see throughout the scriptures, the Greek word for grace, which is charis, let me hear you say that, charis. charis. It appears some 170 times. And as it shows up, it doesn't just show up as this one stagnant idea, but it's got all of these dimensions, all of these layers, all of these covers, all of these colors, all of these flavors, all of these different tones and nuances to what grace really is. And so grace is absolutely the pardon of your sin. It absolutely involves um, benefit and blessing. It absolutely involves favor and forgiveness. It absolutely involves mercy over merit. It, it, grace is the way by which you receive salvation, Ephesians 2. Like grace is what you stand in. Grace is what you work from. It is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. It's his gifts and blessings upon you. It is all of those things and so much more. Grace is so big and it's so dynamic and it's so beautiful. But the truth, the true reality is this, that I can't give you a definition of grace for you to really understand grace. I can't give you some fancy explanation of grace for you to really understand grace. If, if you want to understand grace, you've got to experience grace. You've got to experience grace. You know how I know this? Jesus never uses the word grace in all of the gospels. And yet he is the most gracious person who has ever lived. He is full of grace and truth, but yet it never comes out of his mouth. Why? Because it doesn't have to. He's so full of grace that just everywhere he walks, like a, like a glass that's full of water, grace is just falling out, getting all over people, right? That's just Jesus. He's walking and grace is just coming out everywhere, right? That's a picture of him being full of grace, just pouring out. So it doesn't have to show up in his words. It shows up in his actions. And so it's not the statements of the Bible that really show us what grace is. It's the stories of the Bible that show us what grace is. 
and who Jesus is as someone who is full of grace and full of truth. And so I just want to spend the rest of our time today to try to get an understanding of the Jesus that I wish you knew, which is the Jesus who's full of grace and truth by looking at stories, not statements about grace. Because these stories are going to allow you to put yourself in those stories and go, okay, if that person can experience grace, maybe I can experience grace too. If grace isn't too far off from them, maybe grace isn't too far off from me. If grace if, if they're not too good for grace, maybe I'm not too good for grace. And so let's look at this story. This is one of my favorite stories in scripture. I say that about every part of the Bible. Mark chapter two, and as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. The Jesus I wish you knew is the Jesus who's got grace to go to the people who good people won't go to. That's the Jesus I wish you knew who's not a respecter of persons, who doesn't care where you're from or what you look like or what you've done or how bad you've blown it. He doesn't care if you're black or white. He doesn't care if you're rich or if you're poor. He doesn't care if you're conservative or liberal. He, he doesn't care. The grace of Jesus goes towards people. Like it moves. It's not this thing that you're like having to go and look for or go and find. It's this thing that comes towards you. And, and, and it's a messy grace. It's a grace that is associates with those who others won't associate with, right? Jesus goes and he's hanging with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, I mean, they're not much different. IRS people are pretty bad, you know? But in that day, they were seen as like awful, like below prostitutes. That's how bad they were. And so Jesus is hanging with these tax collectors and he's hanging with these sinners and he's hanging with these gluttons. He's hanging with these prostitutes and everybody's like, man, what kind of congregation does that prophet have? full of myth, misfits, full of people who fall short and don't fit in and don't measure up. And the, the good news of grace, that Jesus who's full of grace and truth is that he will go to people that good people will not go to, that good people will actually run away from, that people will actually avoid. Grace teaches us that God, that God loving you isn't actually based on who you are, but it's based upon who he is. You see, that's one of the most important understandings of grace that we need in our theology is that grace isn't based on me. It's based on him. It's not based upon who I am or what I've done, but it's based upon who he is and what he's done. That's a proper understanding of grace, that it's just out of his goodness, just out of his benevolence, just out of his kindness that he would associate with the lowest of the low. And this drove first century Jews bananas. It drove them crazy. Like they just couldn't wrap their mind around it. Like why would Jesus hang out with these people? Those are bad people, Jesus. Those aren't nice people. Those are naughty people. You need to come hang out with the polite people, with the political people, with the put together people, Jesus. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus frustrates our perception of who he should be around and who he shouldn't be around. Let's, let's try to make it 2019 for a second. Who would it frustrate you if Jesus hung out with? Like push the envelope in your mind because like today, like we get it. Jesus will hang out with drug addicts and you know, some sinners and some people who've fallen short. But what is the person in your mind that you're like, nah, Jesus ain't hanging out with them, heck no. Like where does it go too far for you? Like Jesus is hanging out at your gay friend's house. Is that too far for you? Jesus attends your gay friend's wedding. Is that too far for you? Like what's the line in your mind where you go, grace is good enough for these people, but these people, nah, nah, grace won't associate with them. No, no, grace will. Grace will get messy. Grace will get its hands dirty. You know, I've got people in my life, if I can be real, that like, and I didn't even know till recently that I've got prejudice against and that I didn't think, that I don't think grace is available to. Like, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I've got trouble believing that Jesus would go to these people. So as many of you know, I got to go to India recently and it was an unbelievable experience. And while we were there, um, I got to go with one of our partners who specializes in rescuing girls from um, human trafficking, particularly sex trafficking, into a brothel. 
And um, it was intense, okay? India is intense altogether. So in India, there's 1.2 billion people, okay? There's 330 million people in the United States, 1.2 billion in India. It's one third of the size of landmass. So there are people everywhere, right? Just the sights, the sounds, the volume, the intensity of India is like you couldn't imagine. There's trash everywhere. People just urinate on the ground. There's no traffic laws. It is dusty and dirty and just altogether intense. And so we're in this place and we're walking through um, what I would describe as a maze of sheet metal homes, a maze of sheet metal homes. Try to get that imagery in your mind. And we're going through and it's just people everywhere, trash on the ground, dirt roads, just crowded and loud and chaotic. And people just don't have social awareness and they've not seen a lot of white people. And so people are just like walking up and they're just like looking at me, just like standing, not saying a word, just coming standing straight next to me. Probably because I look like Conor McGregor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they're just like, oh, can I get an autograph and like flex for me? You know, like that's what's happening a lot. <laughs> No, these people, like, they're just coming up to me, like, and, and the people who are rich and, like, have phones, they would literally just walk up to me and just be like, take a selfie, not say a word and walk away. And so no awareness of personal space as I'm going through this maze, this jungle of sheet metal homes. And as I'm walking through this jungle, just, man, so crowded and so loud and so dirty, and I feel so uncomfortable. About every five feet, there's a girl who's sitting on a stool just looking up at me. Puppy dog eyes, just like looking up at me every five feet, every step I take, there's another girl, another story, another opportunity, another prostitute who's sitting there just waiting for clients as I make my way through this maze of sheet metal homes. And I finally get back to the brothel that we're going to, and it's nothing like I would have imagined. It's, you know, this concrete area that's open to the sky and there's this jagged metal everywhere and there are all of these doors that are lining the wall and on every one of the doors there's a lock and there's a chain and and so I go and I sit and um, I'm interacting with some of the girls and talking with our partners and the first 20 minutes that I'm there there's a girl who comes out of this door over here on the right the lock unlocks she comes out she goes out in the street she gets a customer, she goes back into that room, she comes out, she goes out into the street, she gets another customer and she comes back into the room and she goes out and she goes back into the street and she gets another customer and she goes back into that room and in 20 minutes, this girl who couldn't have been more than 18 years old services three different clients. Like I had no like mental or emotional space to file it, like as a dad, as a man, as a human, I just couldn't deal with the pain and the agony that this girl was going through. Like, like just to look in her eyes and see that there's nothing going on back there, that she's just like a machine. Uh, we have a close friend um, who's a painter. And when I was telling her this story, um, I was trying to get her to understand like the normalcy of it, how normal it felt to the people who I was around, which is what made me feel so disgusting. And I said, the same way that you paint, she's a prostitute. Like you paint, she just performs sex acts. Like, that's how normal it was. Like, this girl's going in and coming out and going in and coming out, and nobody's batting an eye. Nobody's saying anything. Nobody's speaking up. And I'm not, I'm not upset with the girl, right? I'm heartbroken for the girl. I've got grace for the girl. You know who I have no grace for? The guy. I want to break him. I want to hurt him. I want to, little pieces, Conor McGregor him. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where I'm living, like, I can't understand having grace for that man. But do you know who has grace for that man? Jesus has grace for that man. And that next man and that next man. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. And it probably makes you feel uncomfortable. But Jesus loves him. Grace doesn't come to those who we're comfortable with. Grace comes to anybody and everybody. There's no footnotes, no exceptions, no revisions. Who is it for you? that you believe is beyond deserving God's grace? Like, who, who can you not tolerate receiving God's grace? Who's not worthy of God's grace for you? Man, because that will tell you a, a, about how big your ethic is of how great God's grace is. Like, the, 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 how limiting your understanding of who grace is extended to is directly connected to how much grace you believe God's gonna extend to you. You know, I know that Jesus has grace for that man. He's got grace for the people who are hard. You know, in 2019, it's not easy for us to believe that there's grace for those who deserve it. But what about for the ones who don't? What about for the traffickers? 
What about for the dads who walked out? What about for the men who abused women? Like, do you have an ethic of grace where it's big enough for those people too? What about for the racist? What about for the misogynist? This is the Jesus who is so scandalous, who is so different, who's so reckless with his grace, who moves into the neighborhood of humanity. Not a safe Jesus, not a comfortable Jesus, not a cute Jesus, a really messy grace kind of Jesus. Do you know why I know that he showed grace to that man? Because he showed grace to David. You remember the story of David? Like David, man, that's the worst guy I've ever met. I ain't never met nobody who sinned like David, okay? David's like making up sins and then sinning against the sins that he made up. David like, has a wife, finds a girl that he thinks is attractive. He lusts, plans, schemes, commits adultery, then gets another guy, lies about it, gets somebody hammered, has him killed also that he can marry his lover. Like that's next level sin. And, and then you would think, oh, well, David came clean, right? No, 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 David got caught. David got caught and it was only when he got caught that he came clean and grace rushed in. When he got caught and he was met with grace, that's when transformation happened. And David ends up being called a man after God's own heart. And so if there is grace for David, there is grace for anyone. And that's what that story of Jesus eating with friends of sinners shows us. So who is it for you? But his grace is so much bigger. Check out this story. I love this story. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, which feels like a setup. Can we be real? How do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? Like, I feel like you were peeping Tom, kind of waiting for it, just saying. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say, Jesus? Jesus replies, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I love these men's response. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with this woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, which like only Jesus can get away with that, right? Like if you say to your mom or wife, woman, you're gonna get slapped. But Jesus can go, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. This response is so beautiful. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You know, grace really frustrates those of us who don't think that we need it. Grace really frustrates those of us who have forgotten how much we need it. These men have this woman surrounded and all that they want is justice because that's what you want, right? When somebody's wronged you or somebody's done wrong, your natural thought is that they need justice. Justice must, must be served. But as soon as Jesus flips the script, as soon as Jesus turns the tables and it's not her who needs grace, but it's them who need grace. All of a sudden, they don't want justice no more. Come on, give me some of that grace. When they got to think about their sin, their baggage, their mistakes, their past, their hurts, their failures, it really levels the playing field. All of a the sudden, there aren't these super Christians whose capes are flapping in the wind and who are standing on Mount Everest. There's, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But grace frustrates people who've forgotten that they need it or think that they don't. Do you think you're beyond the need of God's grace? Have you convinced yourself that you're a good enough person to not need God's grace? That's illogical. Let me try to explain to you the chasm, the gap between you and God that your sin has created. One sin, just a lie. You want to think like uh, speeding, okay? Because y'all do that and you don't think it's a sin, okay? So me too. Um, so you speed, right? It creates such this large gap that in order for you to get back to God, how good you would have to be, a great picture of it would be standing on the Santa Monica Pier, jumping off into the Pacific Ocean and trying to land in Hawaii. It's not gonna happen. You can't do it. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. One sin separates you that much. And so if you've forgotten that you are in need of God's grace too, then it's gonna cause you to have all of this religiosity in you towards other people. And Jesus' grace just levels the playing field. It causes all of our justice mindsets, all of our stones that are directed towards people who we think fall short to just drop on the ground. 
one after one. I've got no justice for you. I've got no um, trash to talk to you. I've got no, uh, no, no accusations to throw against you. I've got none of it. Every one of them drop when I realize that I'm a sinner who's just in need of God's grace as you are. When I get that picture in my mind, when I see that vividly and clearly, it just, and it does something. You see, this story, it shows us that grace, like for this woman, because she's surrounded. Like, I just want for you to get back in the mind of the woman for a second. She's surrounded by these men. She can't go anywhere. She can't lie her way out. She can't manipulate the situation. She can't try to be good enough. She's caught in the act of sin. She's surrounded by her accusers. And so oftentimes we think about grace as God being a God who helps those who help themselves, right? You ever heard this? God helps those who help themselves second opinions 918 <laughs> that's all that is it's an opinion it's not in the bible nowhere to be found okay god doesn't help those who help themselves god helps those who can't help themselves and who realize it who get it who understand it who are at the end of themselves that is where grace breaks in it's not the little engine that could kind of christianity where we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try hard like the little engine that could it's the train wreck that couldn't christianity where when we were all alone dead in the water had nothing to offer grace breaks in and saves the day this is the good news of jesus being full of grace wherever you're at but he's also full of truth he says to this woman, go and sin no more. You see, grace is not this license to sin. Jesus doesn't just set you free from your sin. He sets you free to freedom, to pursue righteousness. He sets you free so that you no longer have to be enchained to sin. It's not just about being forgiven of your sin. That's not what grace is about. It's about being forgiven. Are freed from your sin, not just forgiven, but freed so that you no longer have to be enchained in it, no longer have to walk in it, no longer have to carry it with you all the days of your life. That's what grace does. Grace motivates you. You see, oftentimes we want people to clean themselves up, get it together, and then we'll offer them grace. Like if they'll, if they'll come to me and they'll say sorry and they'll change their actions, I'll give them some grace. No, 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 you give grace and that's what causes actions to change. You see, we're not, we're not working to earn God's grace. We're not working for God's grace. We're working from God's grace. It's the place that we move from. It's the motivating factor, not the gift that we get when we're good. That's the grace of Jesus. There's more stories, though. I love this one in Luke 15. You've got the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. Uh, like, I, I just love that, like, you may feel lost today. You may feel like you're too far gone today. You may feel like you're wandering today. You may feel like you don't even know why you're in here. You just kind of stumbled in. Um, well, in those stories, like, the, the master goes looking, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. The housekeeper goes looking for the coin. And I want for you to know that grace is coming to look for you. That the good news of grace is that you don't have to find it, that you don't have to search for it. You're not here on accident today with me talking about grace. You didn't walk in carrying all of this baggage, all of this regret, all of this shame, all of these secrets on accident. You came because grace is hunting you down, running after you, chasing you to find those of you who feel so lost and so forgotten. The good news of grace is that he'll risk everything, leave the 99 sheep to come after the one sheep. It's that personal and it's the good news of the coin that when, when it's found, like he'll, he'll turn the house upside down to find it, that he'll do whatever it takes to get grace into you, that you may try to be avoiding grace, but grace is coming for you. And then I love the, new, the, the story of the prodigal son. We all know it in Luke 15, right? The story of the prodigal son, that there's this guy, young son, he asks for his inheritance early. And so he goes off and he lives a life of party and luxury and foolishness and sin. And then he runs out of money and runs out of friends and finds himself eating pig slop. And so he stumbles his way back to his father. And he says, if I could just be a servant in your house, if I could just maybe, just maybe belong. He's got this victim mentality, which so many of us have. This picture of grace where it's like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, brother. You know, like if I could just be given a shot, I'd be, I'd be grateful for it. And the father like laughs at him and goes like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not going to be a slave in my house. You are my son. And he puts a ring on his finger and a robe around him. And he celebrates and, par and he throws a party and he kills a fattened calf. And there's dancing and singing and this huge party. And that's grace, that you don't get what you deserve. 
that you don't get what you deserve, but that you actually get what you don't deserve. You deserved condemnation. You deserved judgment. You deserved wrath. But what you got is you got love and mercy and a place at the table. What you deserved was to have to pay your debt back. What you deserved was death. What you deserved was to be forgotten. But what you got was um, an inheritance and a party and a place at the table. This is, the, this is the good news of the grace of Jesus and the prodigal son. But then there's also the older brother, right? The older brother who's just pouting and who's self-righteous and who's like, well, I never got a party. And a lot of us suffer from the older brother syndrome. Like we don't have this story of grace. We don't have this story where we have been so extravagant, so wild and so crazy. And so then we resent those who do. And we act like we're better than just because our story doesn't look to be quite as scandalous. But I'm here to tell you that your fat-headed pride, my fat-headed pride, is just as disgusting before the God of the universe as some party lifestyle is. It's just as disgusting. And the reality is, is that God still got grace for you. You see, he goes, I never got, uh, I never got a goat, which is so, like, such a whiner mentality. Who cares about a goat, right? Like, I, I thought at first he asked for a boat, right? I would have gotten that. Like, where's my yacht? But, you know, he's like, well, I never got a goat. There's filet mignon and dancing and singing. And you want a goat? Like, what are you even complaining about right now? But this is the older brother syndrome where we just start to think that because we didn't mess up the way that somebody else messed up, that we're more deserving of God's gracious benefits towards us. But the good news of grace is this, that there is nothing that you have done. Hear me say this that can make God love any of you any less, nothing. And there's absolutely nothing that you could do to make God love you anymore. It's a story about the younger brother and the older brother that there's nothing that the younger brother could do to make his father love him any less. He loved him, not because of what he did, but because of who he was, his son. And there's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. All this trying and effort and trying to impress him. It's the older brother. There's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. He loves you too because you're his son. Two more stories, then we'll, we'll close. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarii. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarii. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarii? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give you this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? The Jesus who is full of grace and truth has a reckless amount of generosity with him, uh, an, an illogical amount of generosity, one that like makes no economic sense. Like God's grace does not count. That's what that story teaches us. There were these men who started working in the, at 6 a.m. and they agreed to work for a denarii. And so they worked all day. And, and, and then there were these men who started working at 4 p.m. and they agreed to work for a denarii. And then it come to get, came time to get paid and everybody got paid the same. And the people who worked longer thought they deserved more. And what that story teaches us about grace is that grace don't count. Grace don't care about how much you've done or wrong or how much you've done right. Grace doesn't care how long you've walked with God or not walked with God. Grace has no logic to it. Grace does whatever grace wants, loves whoever it loves, gives whatever it wants to give. You can't measure it. There's no counting. There's no standard. There's no system. It's just this goodness, this favor, this, this goodness that's just lavished out on each and every one of us. That's, that's amazing, amazing grace. And man, I could just spend all day with you guys going through story after story after story of Jesus showing us grace. But you know, it's more than stories just in the Bible. It's stories in our own life too. You know, oftentimes when I talk to somebody about grace, a great way of knowing whether or not they understand it is whether or not they can tell me a story about grace. I wanna tell you about a story of grace in my life. And if I can be real with you, it's a story that I'm pretty embarrassed by. It's a story that I've gone back and forth on whether or not I was even gonna share. Like my wife and I were laying in bed last night and as we were talking about it, I even said, babe, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like if I share this story, this perception of me as a pastor, it's just gonna be painted and I just don't know if I want people to think about me that way. Like I've got so much like insecurity and embarrassment that's attached to it that like, ah, oh, 
But the truth is that if grace is big enough to rescue me in this situation, maybe it'll show you that grace is big enough to rescue you and yours too. So I was 20 years old and I took a job at a church in Pennsylvania and I didn't come from money. And so when I moved up there, like I didn't have much money. And to be real, like I spent almost all of my money just on moving expenses. Now, when I moved up there, I had uh, worked it out with the church that there was a family member who's gonna let me live in their home. And um, this family member was amazing, church member was amazing. It wasn't my family member as a church member, I'm sorry. They were amazing. They let me uh, stay at their house and it was this awesome house, three bedrooms, a basement, a pool in the backyard, just more than I could have ever bargained for. And um, they were gonna give me this rent that was like pennies on the dollar, okay? And this family was amazing. They were gonna do it because they were actually moving to the inner city to do ministry. So they were just this very kingdom-minded family. And so I moved up there and it came time to pay my first rent. And like I said, I'd spent all my money on moving expenses and I wasn't smart with my money. I didn't really calculate it wisely. And so when it came time to pay what I owed, I didn't have it. And so as opposed to doing the right thing, the Christian thing, what a pastor would do and be honest, I lied. I told them at church one Sunday, hey, I'll, uh, I'll get you that check. Like I'll, I'll meet you at church on Sunday and I'll give it to you. And so then when I saw them, I was like, oh man, I forgot I left it at my house. I'll get it to you next week. And so they were fine. They were cool, gracious. And I go home, go out throughout the week. I'm just like, you know, trying to figure out how I could come up with the money to be able to pay this rent and can't do it. And so Sunday comes and I haven't been able to get paid yet. And so I see him and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot again, I left the rent check at home. Just lying. And so I go another week and finally I get the money to be able to pay them. And so I meet at church on Sunday and I write the, I write the check you know, before I ever see them and put them in an envelope and I hand it to them and they say, thank you, great. And you know, I go on with my day. And if I can be real, like I thought I got away with it. Like there was this sense in me that like I escaped, like I didn't have to be embarrassed. I didn't have to feel awkward about the fact that I didn't have money and that I didn't measure up. Like it was just a little white lie. Like I tried to justify it in my mind. I'm a pastor. Like what even is a white lie? So illogical. I was like, man, I'm doing the work in ministry. I was just trying to, you know, get through. It's no big deal. They got paid. And I'm just like, you know, kind of trying to avoid them at that point. Like just because I feel guilty and I feel like, oh man, like just... And really the whole time leading up, I was just avoiding them and avoiding them and avoiding them. And about two or three days after I gave them the check that Sunday, they called me and say, hey, can we meet? I said, yeah, sure, we can meet. And so we meet for coffee and they sit down and they take the check and they push it across the table in front of me. And I just look at the check and look at them and they say, look at the date on the check. And I look at the date on the check and it's not for the first Sunday when I told them that I had the check or for the second Sunday when I told them that they had the check. It was for the third Sunday when I actually wrote the check for the very first time. They said, you said that you had it three weeks ago, but that you left it at home. Why is it dated for Sunday? And I just came clean. I was like, I lied. I was embarrassed, I didn't have the money, I felt ashamed and I just fell on my sword and felt horrible and thought that my life was coming unraveled at the seams and my career and ministry was gonna be over. I was gonna be exposed for being this liar, this thief, this cheat. Those are all the emotions that are welling up within me. They reach across the table and they grab the check and they look at me and they go, I never want for you to forget about the grace of Jesus. And they rip up that check right in front of my face. And they tell me that the next two months of rent are free. Now, what would have been right was for them to lay into me. What would have been right is for them to give me what I deserved. What would have been right was to keep me out of their house and to expose me in front of everyone. But what was gracious was to give me what I didn't deserve. That's grace. And that's exactly how the God of the universe treats you. This is what Jesus is full of. The good news of the gospel is that you don't get what you deserve. You get what you don't. That's grace in story, in life, in color, in form. You know, it would be a great tragedy if you spend the rest of your life running from a God who thinks that, because you think he's trying to track you down to pay something that you owe when he's trying to give you something that you could never earn. Like the great intersection of the gospel, I want for you to hear is that on the cross, that it's the perfect intersection of grace and truth that the truth is that you are more sinful than you could possibly conceive. But the grace is that you are more loved than you could dare to imagine. 
And so that cross, you don't have to die on. Jesus dies on in your place to give you sonship. It's this beautiful picture, beautiful picture that for you, that Jesus wants true life, true satisfaction, true rest, true purpose, true belonging. He doesn't want for you to go through the motions of a fake existence. He wants truth for you, but he also, he's full of grace for you. Grace that's big enough to cover your shame. Grace that's big enough to heal that secret sin. Grace that can wipe out your addiction. Grace that's beautiful enough to awaken your bitterness. And grace that's strong enough to save your day. You may think that you've given up on grace, but grace hasn't given up on you. Jesus has come to liberate you, to set you free from all of your sin, all of your striving, all of your effort, all of your pretending, all of your having to act like you've got it together and that your life is perfect. He's come to set you free from that, to just sit at his feet and to receive his grace and to let his grace be the thing that carries you forward. Jesus, that I wish you knew, is this Jesus that is so full of grace and so full of truth. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for your word. And God, I just pray that today that we would see you as full of grace and full of truth. God, I pray for the person in the crowd right now who's never met you before, who came in today trying to earn approval and earn salvation. I pray that they would hear the truth that that you love them and that you're for them, and that they would experience your grace like never before. Hey, I just want to talk to you. Like, if you came in today and, like, you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, like, You've been running from his grace. You've been trying to perform. You've been trying to earn it. And you just want to receive it today. I'm going to pray. It's a simple prayer. It's just a statement of saying, I want to step into the story. And I just invite you to pray after me. Say, Jesus, I need your grace. It's as simple as that. Jesus, I have sinned. But I need your grace. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I give you my life. I ask you to give me your grace. Hey, if you pray that, the scriptures say that something transformative happened in your life and you crossed from death to life. You went from being on the outside to being on the inside, from being a foreigner to being a part of the family. And so I just wanna mark that moment. If you did that, I'm gonna count to three. And just as a statement of surrender, a statement of like, you don't have to try or earn or belong or fit in, but you just wanna receive the grace of God that is freely given to you through the cross, just lift your hand in the air. I'm gonna count to three and you just throw your hand up in the, in the air as a sign that you are saying yes to the grace of Jesus for the first time today. Okay, do it on the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, praise God. Hands all over the room. Praise God. Praise God. I see you. It's awesome. Praise Jesus. And then for those of you, I, I just want to pray who, man, you feel like you've got bitterness and resentment in your heart and no grace for others. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people of grace. It's what this world needs more than it needs anything else is it needs to know your grace. And so help us to be people who extend the same grace that we think we're deserving of. Help us to be people who know Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. I ask you in his beautiful name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.